Hey, Bayview family and friends, welcome back to Weekend Wednesdays, the podcast that brings the weekend worship into your midweek. My name is Min Su Kang, and I'm your host for this week's episode. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning into this week of Weekend Wednesdays. Uh, This is part two of our interview with Pastor Sawyer, where we dive a little bit deeper into practicalities, talking about how do you actually put on the armor of God? What does that look like in our daily lives? And so both Sawyer and I kind of banter together, kind of share some of our personal thoughts, and I hope this blesses you. I hope that it does encourage you uh, to wear the armor of God daily as we attack and as we engage in spiritual battle. Enjoy. Well, we have in studio again our very own Pastor Sawyer. Sawyer, how's your day going today? Uh, I'm chilling like a villain. Can I say that as a pastor? Um, You just did. So Clean and redeemed. That's better. So we're picking up from last week's episode. Uh, We ended up talking about just, yeah, the North American kind of climate spiritually in regards to, yeah, comfort and Mm -hmm. being lulled and just being entertained to death. And so, yeah, as we kind of engage this topic deeper of spiritual warfare, in your opinion, how do we sort of break out of that? What are some ways that we could stop being comfortable and, you know, even being in this reality that there's spiritual beings, there's a spiritual force behind the things that we're engaging with? Yeah, I'm nervous to paint with broad brushes, but here we are. So allow me to uh, proceed. Charles Taylor, he was a philosopher at McGill. He's still alive. He might just be retired. And he wrote this book called A Secular Age, that there are secular ages and religious ages throughout history. And ours is a secular one. And perhaps the most famous part of that book, it weighs like four pounds. It's it's a, it's tick. Hmm. So he refers to the imminent frame. He talks about, so here's the question that might actually help motivate this, this response is how come 400 years ago, it was functionally impossible to be an atheist? You were religious because that's how your community celebrations oriented around. That's how you planted your crops. That's what you did. You could not function as an atheist. It wasn't functionally possible. A default worldview was taken for granted. And if you did not have that, you were viewed with suspicion and were expected to give a response. Okay. Nowadays, it is the exact opposite. If you are religious, that's kind of unique and you're expected to give a response and not being religious is taken for granted. How did that happen? And so he gave all these answers, but he said, basically where we are now is, if you think of a picture frame, a picture frame, it keeps some things in and it keeps some things out. It tells you what to focus on, what's relevant and what's not. So in our modern age, in this secular age, we have an imminent frame. Our framing is basically how we understand ourselves and the world around us, what options are on the table and what is not. And the frame telling us what options are in and what options are out is imminent. That means here and now as compared to transcendent, something that is above and over top. So the backdrop against which we think of ourselves and our lives and purpose and meaning and fulfillment, what does it mean to live a good life? Those are made up against a thoroughly imminent backdrop. So we're not thinking about, okay, what are perhaps spiritual forces, positive or negative, that might be trying to get my attention? Or what are other factors that weigh into the valuation of a good life that might be beyond just pleasure and money, things Mm -hmm. like that. So part of that is re-discipling and sanctifying our imagination 
to recognize, okay, God, what opportunities do you have for me today? And that's training your mind every day or reading the Psalms or the prophets where they say that the Lord has measured out the oceans in his hand, like the cracks in God's hand. That's what oceans fit inside. Or Mm. when he's given Joe a a verbal smackdown and he says, where were you when I stretched out the garment of the universe and called the stars by name into existence? Or how I play with the Leviathan, like mm-hmm. how we we play with, you know, a puppy, things like that. Where were you when I did all that? And that makes the mind wonder. So part of it isn't just a rationalist, okay, sit down and read the book, but it's also learning to redisciple our imaginations. And that's part of the role of art and beauty. Like that's why yeah. worship hits people so hard. And they say, Oh, you can never convince me that God exists. And yet they hear the song, Awesome God, and they're weeping and they say, Okay, I get it now. Yeah. I feel like the, my thoughts around this is very similar to what you just said. Mine w- is probably going to just lay people terms. But essentially, I think in my conversations with, this is especially true with non-believers, but believers too, I think it's a sense of like disenchantment. That's, where, he uses that term, yeah, disenchantment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a sense of like, there's, you're kind of just like the here and now is all that's it. And a lot of, especially non-Christians, when I talk to them, I truly believe, and I really believe this in my heart, that the things of this world can only go so far Mm. and they can only go so far in satisfying you. And it really does leave you empty. And so that sense of emptiness, if there's any, if you know, if you're putting your hope in anything in this world, emptiness is just a matter of time, Mm. right? So it may last a short period of time or longer, but emptiness, it's eminent. It's going to happen. And so a lot of conversations that I had around this topic of God, transcendence, enchantedment, actually helped with talking about just the limitations of sin, limitations of things, limitations of this earth. Mm -hmm. And I find that stretches people's imagination. Mm -hmm. And so a question that I've asked people in the past, you know, my old colleagues and stuff is kind of like, do you believe what you're experiencing now is it? And that really jogs their mind. And we've entered a lot of spiritual conversations from that. But yeah, totally agree with you on that point because I think our, our world is actually dying for transcendence. It mm-hmm. just doesn't know how to get there. Yeah. That's why I love doing the messages around Christmas, things like that. Holidays uh, means holy days. Holidays are what they used to be called holy days. They were religious festivals. So why is it that we still love Christmas, even though very few people would celebrate the incarnation? Mm. Well, it's because these things ring true and they don't know why. And it may not even be because they don't know why. It's because they actually do know on such a deep level that they've never had to articulate it before. That's why when you ask someone what is love, it's hard for them to describe it, not because they have no clue what love is, but because it's so deeply registered in them, they've never had to think about it before. Hmm. So I would still say, yeah, that these things like eternity, they're written upon our heart. And we're looking at these things that are Costco samples, but we're expecting them to be a buffet. And they were never meant to be that. The aesthetic theology in the Catholic tradition is very good about this. They talk about things being mediums and that's the the proper place of art. It's a place where where God shines forth, Mm -hmm. whether it's art or nature or the beauty of good arguments and science and logic. Those all have their places. But Mm -hmm. if you come to them and put a God-sized expectation on this finite object, then of course it's going to break. And that's it's just an idol. And Mm -hmm. any good gift is an idol. Totally. Augustine said, evil is the perversion of the good. So you can pervert anything by expecting it to do something that it it can't do. Mm. Yeah. I also, I think deep down, I believe that the people who are very comfortable with their lives 
kind of just entertained to death. I think deep down though, deep, deep down, they're not really satisfied. I think they're bored and I think they've just reached this point where they're just comfortable, but I don't think they really want to be there. And I've experienced that too, where you're just kind of at this point where you have no responsibilities, you kind of achieved everything that you wanted and you just kind of sit there. And I think deep down, because God has put eternity in our hearts, I don't believe there's this deep sense of satisfaction. I think ultimately, which is sad, all these things end up leading a person to a sense of emptiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that two things come to mind. One is Ecclesiastes, Solomon. He just said, right. it's, it's all vanity. He saw it all. He had all wisdom, all money, all mm-hmm. women, access to anything he wanted in Excelsis. And he said, yeah, that, that, that's not it. Right. And even in that, I referenced a sermon by C.S. Lewis on Sunday, The Weight of Glory. And he said, our problem is that we're far too easily pleased. We're playing with little mud pies by the ocean when we could have a palace by the sea. Mm -hmm. So whenever I have friends or people that walk away from what is good, true and beautiful and start going down a wayward path, my worry is that they will just stay on that shallow enough level of depravity that they can exist there for decades and then your life is over. And you also don't want them to hit rock bottom. But there is a, a clarity that comes from there. But there's also a danger because, totally. you know, nasty stuff happens down there. So I don't know what I prefer. Hmm. But I guess when someone is walking that way, the prayers that you pray are, God, do what it takes to bring them back to you. Yeah. And if that has to reveal the hollowness of their idols, you know, it looks like a great Easter bunny and you think it's solid and it's actually one of those hollow ones. Yeah. It's so disappointing, right? And you just keep finding it everywhere. Yeah. Going back to spiritual warfare, something that I wanted to uh, sort of conclude, uh, it is a bigger topic, so I'm I'm sure we'll we'll talk through this in length, but I don't know about you, Sawyer, but when I read Ephesians and I read about the armor of God, I read it and it sounds wonderful. It sounds like something that I want to equip myself in every day. And if this is my defense against the spiritual attacks of the enemy, I need to be using them in some way two questions and I want to hear your thoughts around it. First, in your mind, are these individual pieces? Do you see them as individual? And the second is, I think for me, even if I heard this podcast episode, I think something that I would want is practicality. Mm. Like it sounds great, but how? How do I put this on? How do I make this a daily part of my day? So I would love to hear some of your thoughts around that. Paul is very wise, and it's also in Isaiah. I wonder if Paul builds on it, where they talk about the breastplate of righteousness and these other parts of the armor. It's imagery, and it's meant to capture our imagination, but the imagery is not the cognitive content of the argument. In the armor of God, Mm. Paul's not talking about armor. In the fruit of the Spirit, Paul's not talking about apples and bananas and oranges in this way. So if you look at the book as a whole, Ephesians 6 is how he is closing off this whole book. And what is the whole argument of the book of Ephesians? Because in Ephesians 3, he says, Christ has already given us every heavenly blessing. Right. Has already given us. And he says that we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. That Mm -hmm. is the seat of the greatest power, but also the greatest intimacy. You have the king's ear and you have access to uh, all of his wealth and all of his privileges. So no, I think it's mistaking the illustration to talk about oh yeah, I'm really good with the righteousness part, but I'm not good with the faith part. What are you talking about? Your your faith is what gives you righteousness. I'm good with the faith part. I'm not good with the truth part. Okay, Mm. maybe you got some wonky theology, but that's that's besides the point. (laughs) If you have a false faith, it's it's no faith at all. So 
no, I don't think it's helpful to, to break them up that way. Mm. And same with the fruit of the Spirit. People say fruits of the Spirit, plural. It's, it's not plural in the Greek. It's singular. What mm. is the fruit? It's a non-count noun. How can you be growing in joy but not be growing in peace? How mm. can you be growing in peace but not be growing in love? Right. I'm growing in self-control, but I'm not good on the peace front. What are you talking about? These are all facets. like the gospel itself. Paul talks about for the shoes... These are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Spurgeon talked about the gospel like this huge gem and there's all these different facets and you Mm. turn it in the light different ways. Just like God is infinite in his being and in his nature and his goodness and truth and beauty. So the elements of what he does for us, we can reflect on it infinitely different ways. Mm. But that answers the first part of your question. No, I, I don't know if the blessings of God in this way for our life are actually plural, whereas we can actually just chop it up and talk about it in a few ways. Kind of like light can be referred to as waves or as beams, and both are true. We can parse this out different ways. Linguistically, it's helpful for us, but I don't know if on the ground level, practically, it's like, oh, I forgot to put on my shoes today. Right. That's that's why I, I snapped at someone when I was driving mm. to work. No, I don't, I don't think that's it at all. Paul's talking about the benefits that we have with Christ. So... When Jesus is talking to people about doing life with him, he basically says, come and follow me. And we think of, okay, well, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to go to a church, preferably Baby Glen, but you go where you need to. You know, there's (laughs) locations all around the world of other churches besides the point. So Jesus refers to it as basically what we would call an apprenticeship today. This is a long-term commitment and it is hours and this is like following a rabbi and you Mm. watch how they walk you watch how they eat you watch how they how do they refer to a server at a restaurant when they bring the wrong thing or when the steak is overcooked what do they do when they're arguing with their spouse or how do they handle a frustrating business decision this is someone that you're walking to and seeing all elements of their life and they're seeing all of yours and we know what those relationships are like outside of the church with our friends and with our family But perhaps we don't think about our spiritual walk that way as well. And so we forget that the Bible is a book that you read, but it's also a book that reads us and it's alive with God's spirit and God's spirit is in us. And we can also have this intimacy with God throughout our day. And it's this intimacy, this indwelling of the spirit that was bought by the sacrifice of Jesus because the father sent him. That is the power and the protection that you have in your life. And so if you're not feeling that, The question is, okay, how much intimacy are you having with with the Father right now in this way? If you're saying, do do you know who my Father is? But the question is maybe for you, do you know who your Father is Mm. in this way? It's it's weird to call upon your Father only when you need favors in this way versus the the intimacy is there and there's no question that he's going to do these things for you. It's like, you know, with your good friends, you would say, hey, if you called this guy up right now and said, hey, I'm in a real, real bad situation, can you drive over? You'd say, yeah, my my best friend would do that for me. Why? Because I would do that for them. Okay, so is this more of a transactional relationship with God? Is this more like a, a servant who serves the master? Do you use God and love him and you use things to love God? Or are you loving things and using God to get to your things? Hmm. So to answer your question, I think The language of armor is talking about the inheritance and implications and blessings that we have because of our intimacy in our relationship with God. Mm. And so if we're unaware of those or if it doesn't feel like we've put them on, these are things that God has provided, how closely are you walking with the Lord in the first place? Because that one gives you the recognition and awareness of the spiritual realities and who you are, but also the intimacy for the boldness to call upon what is rightfully yours because Mm. of what Christ has done. 
Would you say that your relationship with God is even like a step in putting on the armor of God? I think the armor is the the benefits of the intimacy that we have with him hmm. because of the relationship that we have that Christ died on the cross and now God is free to come and lavish all blessings upon us. I think in that moment, you, you receive the status of sonship. You mm-hmm. are literally adopted into the family. You're credited with righteousness. You're declared pure in terms of the temple language. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you are provided with every gift, every blessing. And it's your choice now if you want to put those on. Paul says, put on these things. Yeah, and that's a great, I was literally just going to say that is like, do you have to activate it then? Do you have to be like, all right, I have this now because of my relationship with God. My question was going to be like, is there something that you do to press activate? And then I was thinking like, is there? But then, you know, in the verses that we were investigating in chapter six of Ephesians, it says, put on. Mm -hmm. And so there is sort of this aspect of us choosing this. Mm -hmm. And so I guess any helpful tips on how to put on? Well, I would say it has to be a daily thing. doesn't say that in the Bible, but this is just a practical tip. Are you daily making a practice of this? And on a functional level, if it doesn't happen first thing in the morning, it's probably not going to happen mm-hmm. in that day for me. I totally agree. Yeah, it's got to happen. And so I've, I've tried to make a practice of not looking at my phone before bed and reading. And so that's been helpful, but that's not guaranteed. Other things can come in. So are you making a daily practice of personally being in the word and prayer and that there's no silver bullet. Wow. I never thought of that. No, that's it. Mm. And perhaps you need to be in accountability with other people around you, even just like friends saying, Hey man, what were you reading this week? Or is it no, do you need to be in a group chat and you need to send a little check mark to each other every single day or an X just so people know, is that something that you need? Are there resources that you're walking through? Is there a book that you're walking through? Are you, are you in a life group? Is there a community that you are walking with as well? So I would say on the personal level, has to be regular and perhaps on the communal level. Who are the people? Maybe it's two or three other people. You've given them an open season pass on you. You can ask whatever questions you need to. Right. And then is just there a larger group that you're regularly worshiping with? People that can see you and say, hey, I see this in yourself. I see this gifting. I see this way that the Lord is growing you. Can they encourage you in this way and refine you as well? Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Shout out to Gene Audia. I think one thing that we said together was, he also agreed that the armor of God wasn't, wasn't these like random little pieces. He was like, mm-hmm. I see it more as a hazmat suit. And I laughed. Mm-hmm. I love what you said. Cause like, here's this big suit and we're gifted with, and it's our choice of whether we're going to wear it or not. And I don't know if there is this technique that we sort of have to like one, two, three activate. I think it's more of, in my opinion, I think the biggest step is knowing that you're weak mm-hmm. and that you cannot fight these spiritual battles on your own. And you need, well, Jesus, but you need a higher power outside of yourself in order to fight. Mm -hmm. And so I love, I love what you said. It's like, yeah, slay your demons before breakfast. Like you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to know that you're weak and that you need a power outside of yourself. As again, shout out to Gene. He said, here is three enemies that we have, Satan, our flesh and the world systems. And Mm -hmm. if that's constantly on attack with every single believer, we got to be ready. And I think that readiness comes with just being weak. And mm-hmm. saying that we need a strength outside of ourselves. Yeah, we can try and overcomplicate it. Like if someone said, what are what are 10 tips to get closer with your spouse? You'd be like, you fool. Like <laughs> just first make it a priority. Right. Make time for it. You can't hack this thing. Mm. This, this is a relationship. This isn't an equation. That's a category mistake. Mm. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, make make time for it. It's not a proposition. It's a person. That's probably, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. 
some other dangers in like Western theological flattening of the spiritual life in mm-hmm. some ways. And that might just be strange things that Western evangelicals do. We want to make it one hour. It's a thing you do. Right. It's a system because yeah. it's something I can control versus no, this is way mm-hmm. bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to jump on the wave of what God's doing. I feel like we can definitely take that and run even even further in this discussion, but mm-hmm. we're going to end it here. But Sawyer, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciated your thoughts. And I know that this is going to be a blessing for somebody to greater acquit themselves in the spiritual battle. So thank you for taking the time. Awesome. Happy to be here. Well, Sawyer, uh, before we end, uh, we've asked all of our guests if they can pray for our listeners. So I'm wondering if you can do the same. Can you pray for our our people, our listeners who might be engaging in spiritual warfare, who is looking to greater equip themselves uh, to put on the armor of God daily? Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. Hey, God, we thank you for the people that have tuned in, whether they're washing dishes or driving to work or they're going on a walk outside and whether they're very new with this concept and it's even a lot to get their heads around, let alone their hearts, or if this is something that they've heard so many times that it's more cliche to them. They think, okay, whatever, this is just another warfare talk about this and that. We pray for both of these people that your spirit would be challenging them and also comforting them, revealing to them greater elements of the spiritual reality of who we are, who you are, and what's at stake with uh, the great mission that you've called us to and the great inheritance that we have. So in the midst of all this, would you be revealing this to them, even in the following moments, in the following mornings, that you would encourage them to spend more time with you, and also that you would be opening up chances and opportunities for them to put on this armor, recognizing where they are being challenged or affronted or distracted, and opportunities to step out in greater faith and trust for the protection that you have given us, not anything that we do by our own strength, but because of the perfect final and finished work of Jesus and the inheritance that we have because of that. Would you help them to recognize these moments and step into the authority that we have in you? Amen. Amen.